From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, this is ReSound. Radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. I'm Gwen Maxi. Each week on ReSound, we bring you the best audio work from around the world. What are you looking for? Audio work that you otherwise might not get to hear. Why? Because maybe it aired once and you missed it. Or maybe it aired in another city and you don't live there. Or on the web and you didn't know about it. Wooden needles don't click at all. They, they kind of they tap a little bit. Wooden needles don't click at all. They, they kind of they tap a little bit. That's where we come in. We travel and troll, exact and extract, and generally find things we love, then bring them to you. Your left hand is the sensible one. Your right hand is the crazy one. Our first selection, City X. Get ready for a deep plunge into suburban America and the classic symbol thereof, the mall. Then, Beyond Scarves, taking knitting to the next level. This isn't your grandma's itchy sweater anymore. And finally, Raise Your Right Hand. Who knew your digits would be the next marketing hotspot? Stay with us. In just about any of these United States, you'd be hard-pressed to find a city over, say, five or 10,000 that didn't have within it, adjacent to it, or certainly nearby it, a mall. Indoor mall, outdoor mall, strip mall. They may have different attractions, a dozen movie theaters, an amusement park, or a wedding chapel, but the basic elements are pretty much the same. Tons of stores, kiosks filled with useless tchotchkes, and an inordinate amount of junior high school kids huddled in clusters, flirting, and talking on cell phones. In our first piece, City X, Producer Jonathan Mitchell meets us in the food court for a nostalgic journey that explores the way American cities have evolved over time, thanks or no thanks to the mall. There's no narration in this piece, perhaps because it needs no explanation. It's a story familiar to just about everyone who lives in just about any community in just about anywhere USA. What are you looking for? I don't know. How will you know when you find it? I get this really funny, fuzzy feeling. Once upon a time, there existed a middle American city. It's in the middle of the Midwest. Very conservative Midwestern town, great place to raise your kids. To which I will refer as City X. Comfort. I love that. Sometimes I have to have it. We wanted convenience. I wish I had that. Isn't that cool? We wanted variety. I think humans want lots of things. They wanted bigger things. They wanted enclosed malls. And that was the trend. It was coming. It was what was going to happen. City planning. City planning. 
for the year 2000. 2000 A.D. The first speaker, architect of distinction, Mr. Victor Gruen. Ladies and gentlemen, we may take a pencil and figure out that the new millennium is only 44 years away. This might sound shocking, but I predict that in the year 2000, it will be considered just as foolish to take vehicles into the interiors of business centers as today that it is peculiar to put one's feet on the dining room table. They used to say if you could stand on a phone book here, you could see all the way to Chicago. But um, where are we going? We're going to the mall. We're, we're driving on the road to the mall, yeah. And the traffic is always horrid out here. It's the busiest street in the entire city because of the mall and the businesses that have popped up around the mall because of the mall. All these stores have sprouted up. And it all, it just all built up. It just, everything cropped up around the mall. The stone boxes. They're all concrete boxes that are surrounded by parking lots and connected by roads. And there's no sidewalks anywhere. It's all on land that used to be cornfields. It's not the way it was. It's the way it is. Well, I figured they could make more money if they sold the land and put stores on it. it that was, must have been progress. I'm sure it's much more profitable than growing corn. There's plenty of corn. Everything that you think is, well, this isn't going to be so good. It's good for business. It's an opportunity for somebody. I, I don't know. In the larger scheme of things, maybe it is a problem. I don't know. But what was couldn't have been. Suburbia. Freshness. Edge city development. That was the sign of the future. The very future of who we want to be. Metropolitan. Younger, fresher, cleaner. You know, what we have here is what we have, and bam, it's all there. It's all there. People were so ready for a mall to come here, and it... It was just an untapped market. You have to change with the times, and you have to figure out what people want. Who wants to walk around downtown in the middle of winter? Nobody. The mall offered a whole new range of national companies that weren't present in the community at that point in time. Everybody will want to come to our mall now. It was American. It was metropolitan. Metropolitan feeling. Why are we the only town that doesn't have a mall in the United States? So when it came... We were hip and happening. We were a real town. <laughs> we weren't just some little spot in the middle of a cornfield. We've made it. And it left, it left such an enormous hole in the downtown. I kind of liked downtown like it was when I was a kid, you know, all the businesses were downtown. For many years, the downtown had been the epicenter of retailing. Older people don't like change that much. They'd like to have it just like it was. Downtown was magical. People came down here on Friday night and it was, it was the hangout. It was the place where you came, where you had something to eat, where you shopped. And we, were, we felt with a great deal of pride that we were the leading department store in town. Started in 1886 on 5th Street. My grandfather and his two brothers built this 10-story building at the corner of 5th and Washington in 1925 and 1926. I think that changed with the coming of the automobile. 
cutting-edge city development, suburbanization, automobile culture, the moving outward. It was the 60s, and the trend of the, the day was these new malls that were popping up everywhere. Malls were being built, and uh, we wanted to be involved. The large department stores made a pretty quick exodus from the downtown to the new mall. Because it was part of being in business and trying to grow your business. The usual newspaper stories appeared decrying, you know, the loss of our downtown, our sense of community, and I, and I think with some real basis. We had heard these horror stories in certain towns where a mall had been built and the downtown stores had dropped its volume as much as 40%. Well, that'll put you out of business in a hurry. And we knew we were going to drop volume because some of the volume of the people that came downtown to the store were going to go to the new shopping center, obviously. So we, we calculated that it would be about 25%. Well, when it was all said and done, it was 100% because the store was eventually closed. When I was five years old, I remember driving by the mall just to see its progress and seeing this, this huge... And it was so huge. This huge building. This mall was just massive. These huge forms. I don't remember seeing anybody actually working on it, but I remember watching it and wondering what was going on in there because that time I didn't understand the concept of a mall. Okay, we are now driving around the mall. There's the Sears. Um, oh, it looks like any other mall. We're looking for, we're going to walk, go around the mall to the second level and um, it's where the theater, we have a movie theater where the entrance is, but that's also the main drag into the food court. People tend to have their favorite entrance. Even if the store that you're going to is, is far away, you always park up in the you know upper level by Bergner's because that's where you've always parked. And it's easier to get out. Or, you know, they all have their motivation. This is my favorite place to park because it takes you, bam, right into the food court. My favorite place to park is actually the lower level near Bergner's. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's overlooked because it's actually sort of cutting into the hillside. If I cannot find my, my, a good parking space, which it's not looking good. There's hardly any parking places out here. Then I go down to the lower level of Sears. That'll take me into the automotive section. Just park anywhere. Just park in the normal spot. Yeah. I don't think it'll be open, but... We are now in G9, upper G9. And wait, is this a parking space? Because if it is, I'm taking it. Damn. Oh, I hate when that happens. It's handicapped. It's handicapped. What are you doing? Well, here's... I'm sorry, I, I broke a law. Uh, you want me to drop you guys off? We're gonna have to park a long ways away. It's not looking good, dude. Let's go down to Sears. What you want me to park here? Oh, look, here's a parking place. Amazing. Well, there's always the possibility of a better one. We're still only half a block away from. I, I suppose so, but you know what? I walk nowhere. <laughs> I don't. I don't walk anywhere. I drive everywhere I go. So for me. But even when you're far away, you're still like you know, if you were downtown, you'd have to walk blocks. That, that's true, but you know what? I don't go downtown. Most people don't go downtown. You know why? Because the mall brought everybody here. All right. Here we are. We are at the mall. What are we going to do? We just walk around and we look at the clothes and... Time disappears. Oh, that's nice. And everything was shiny and new. Restaurants and drugstores and movie theaters and... Smiling clerks greet you. Oh, that's nice. 
and it smelled new. Very orderly, very modern. There's a place in the center of the mall that they call Center Court. Can you meet me in Center Court? Yes. But, uh, you know, it had skylights and it had trees growing inside, which was really bizarre. And it was a good place to go look and just look around. And, and uh, you know, I, I was kind of like wishing, you know, you go there and you, you wish, I wish I had this. Or when I get some money, I'll, maybe I'll come back and I'll get this. And uh, we did a lot of wishing. Everybody did a lot of wishing. That is cool. Isn't that cool? I love that. Isn't that cool? What, what are you looking at? Yes, right here. I always want to stop here and look at it. I'm like drawn into the store. It's 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 got shiny objects. But that's exactly what it is. It's got shiny objects. Look at that. Isn't that cool? How much is that? No, I never did like the mall. Never did care about it. The only time I went to the mall was to take people there. I was driving a city bus. It's a brand new place. And I was new at the bus company, so I had to take the worst runs, and that was the worst run. We used to leave from downtown at the Kmart, and there was only one bus an hour. And on the way to the mall, you couldn't stop and pick anybody else up because it was so crowded. So people would just watch you go by. And then when you got to the mall, bus was all full up going back to town. And that's the way it was all day. I, I guess it became the place to go for shopping, for entertainment, for just that sort of teenage, adolescent, lingering around kind of thing. There's a lot of young people in here. I'm looking, I'm standing here looking around. I could be the oldest one here. Look right over there. A lot of kids. Look at the way they're kind of walking. They kind of got the little twitch in their hip, and their hair is kind of bouncing a certain way, and their eyes are darting back and forth. The eyes. And they're looking. You would walk around in search of boys. When you're a, uh, of a certain age, the mall is the place where you find your freedom. That was where everybody went. Looking for boys and clothes and whatever else you could find. And Traveled in little tribes around different locations in the mall and looked for girls. That's it. Like this group of guys here, they all have stocking caps all pulled down like over their eyebrows. Some guys following us around. Yeah, I stalk them. So all you girls out there, watch out. No, I'm just playing. We'd all act like we were cool and we really didn't want them to follow us, but... <laughs> you know, that was the whole reason why we were there, was for them to follow us. Have you ever found a girl here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a few times. I don't know, like, you'll be in line, they'll ask you something, and then they'll just start talking to you? Be myself, that's all you can be. Do you come with your friends? Yeah, actually, my friends are right there, they're eating, they're getting food. So. We came in here to eat. I haven't eaten today. We're coming into the food court. Okay, we have roasted chicken, we have filas, gyros. Looks like they have a subway over there. Mandarin Express, McDonald's, Mellow Cream Donuts, A&W, Pizza, and the Great American Steak Company. Like, if everyone in your family wanted a different meal. Are you going to have a hot dog? I don't think I'm going to have a hot dog. You're not? Why? Because I have that choice. Are you going to eat? I'm going to have a, a gyro. 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 <laughs> um, I'm going to have one of those. Mm 
What's the mall smell like? Popcorn. Popcorn and candy. Mm-hmm. And perfume. Perfume and really sweet fast food. Scented candles. That's another one. Big cinnamon. Yeah. And then if you walk in a clothing store, it smells like new clothes. Let's go by and have a whiff of coffee there. I, I met people um, by working there. Everybody that I knew, all my friends, worked at the mall. And I became the assistant manager and acting manager. Thank you very much. I think what there was was there was a food chain related to where you worked. And, you know, you started working at McDonald's or one of those god-awful kiosks in the center that sold, like, you know, barbecue paste. And then you'd work your way up. And I got to the point where I was the guitar salesman in the music store. And I worked in the CD shop as well. So that was probably the coolest I've ever been. Okay, where should we go from here? We have a photo booth. We could get our photo taken at the photo booth. <laughs> oh, look, there's a Zoltar machine. And a Zoltar machine. That's new. Yeah, that is new. It's got the genie and the ball that's flashing there. And do you have a dollar? Do I ever? <laughs> so I think you press the button, that's your sign. Okay, I'm an Aquarius. Oh, hello there. Welcome to the mall. My name is Zoltar. Let's see what your fortune is today. Oh. What happened? It's popping out. A card's popping out of the bottom here. Okay. Be flexible enough to see the future, to see that the future can be something different than it is. Your calm spirit will see you through emergencies. Trends come and go. The elephant is your special animal. And we want quick answers, but it's not a simple thing. Where should we go from here? If you can see that things can change and that you can survive and that they can be better. Play again and I will tell you more. Oh, you know where we should go? Where? The perfume department. The perfume department. I'm a beauty advisor is my actual title, so... Like, when people come up, I tell them about, like, color and that kind of thing, and then um, sell makeup, basically. Do you do makeovers? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really like working at the mall. I would come to shop, and that used to be fun, but now I just feel like I don't want to even come here anymore because I have to come here all the time to work. Most people are rude. I I used to think most people were nice, but most people are rude. There was a part of working at the mall that I didn't like. I didn't like the idea that I couldn't look outside windows and see what was going on outside. I was stuck inside of this cave. The mall is, um, I don't know, it's pasty. It's just, it's sunless and windowless and... Immaculate. Sterile. That sort of hermetically sealed mall type of environment, that corporate street. A really safe environment where there's security all the time. Very orderly very modern. It gives you a place to be inside. You don't have to get out in the cold or the heat. What is a mall but a large cocoon keeping the world out? They're too generic. And there's nothing unique about them anymore. It's sort of a homogenous experience where if you go to almost any mall in the country... Any mall in any town in any state... Every mall in every place in every town is... Gap, 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 gap is very similar by design. Maybe there's comfort in that. Our city, I think, has a lot to offer people. 
but basically people talk about the mall. People are going to the mall. People are talking about what they bought at the mall. You know, what we have here is what we have, and if you want things, that's where you have to go to get them. Anything you ever wanted is, is inside of a mall. Well, I met my wife at the mall. <laughs> when I was cool, um, we would get off work at 9 o'clock, because that's when the mall closed, and we would hang out in the parking lot at the mall, and we would make jokes about how the full moon was beautiful and shining off of the windshields of, you know, the 88 Buick. And sometimes we would uh, ride in my convertible around the mall parking lot. And, 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 and you know, despite all of the problems and, and cultural homogenization, it, it's still a pretty fun memory. Do you go to the mall very often? Mm, not so much these days. How come? Getting older, realize that life isn't about all that things, I suppose. I've learned a little bit more about what I like, and it's not necessarily what everybody likes, and that's what you find at the mall, what everybody likes. But I do like clothes, so when I go to the mall, I walk by and say, Ooh, that's cute! I get this really funny, fuzzy feeling, and sometimes I have to have it. I think humans want lots of things, and I think uh, some are good for a society, and some are not so good for a society, and we make those choices based on what's available. Now, it's interesting in the history of retailing in the 19th century, actually, before the development of the great department stores, most shopping was done in small regional areas, neighborhood grocers and so on. And as it became centralized, a group of merchants in Chicago brought suit against the stores like Marshall Fields and others as an unfair competition. Well, some people get left out and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. It's just the way it is. Obviously, that didn't keep Marshall Fields and other large department stores from prospering. And we began to think of our downtowns traditionally as the center of our community. Cities are a living, breathing, changing entity. Right now, malls are going through a very difficult time. Now, these many years later, the mall has spawned so many other big box stores. And perhaps the bigger threat are the big box stores. So it's nothing new. Um, this is the way that cities live or, or die. And maybe, maybe, you know what, maybe if we never got the mall, Maybe our city would just just be this small little town that had nothing, not even a mall. And I think what's significant here is we not only look at history as something that's 100 years old or 10 years old or even one year old. We look at history as happening today and in the future. Where are we going? What are we going to do? What are we reaching for? Well, the world is moving pretty fast. And uh, as you get older, it even seems to move faster. Trends come and go. We decide as a society the things that are good for us. If you can see that things can change and that you can survive and that they can be better. Is it better? I'm not sure it is. But that's the way it is. Our city, I think, has a lot to offer people. It's a really nice place to live. It's easy to buy a house. It's a nice size city. Fairly easy to make a living. I think it's a safe place. And the cost of living is very reasonable. 
it's really a great place to raise a family. It's the middle of America. I think that's a good thing. Fits my taste perfectly. You're probably going to find it's beauty in the people. Be myself. That's all you can be. It's the people. And I think, by and large, we have a community full of wonderful, wonderful people. But while I think that people shape the town, the town shapes the people. The question is, do these people look happy that they're here? Do you think they do? I don't know. She didn't look too unhappy. No, I think they look pretty happy. It's just fun to see our country be our country and our people be our people. And what better place to do it at the mall? City X, produced by Jonathan Mitchell. City X was commissioned by Hearing Voices Radio with funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Okay, enough music. Time for music. This is a tune called It Starts With Bongos by the band Kid Spatula.
That was the song It Starts With Bongos by Kid Spatula. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio. We love mail, feedback, comments about the show. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Our email is resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Knitting is like posing for pictures. No one wants any part of it until the finished product appears, and then suddenly everyone wants one. Well, when I was growing up, yarns weren't very exciting, patterns weren't very exciting, and the whole hobby seemed reserved for older women with half glasses making booties for their grandkids. Well, nerdy no longer. Patterns are wild and adorable, yarn is gorgeous and expensive, and, as heard in our next piece, Beyond Scarves, by Matt Simon and Ken Reisman, everyone is doing it, and doing it, and doing it. Materials, 12 ounces three-ply wool, two number 10 and two number 12 knitting needles. Tension on number 12 needles, eight stitches to one inch. Continue thus. Purl one, knit one, purl two together, knit one, purl one, knit one, repeat from end to end. Purl one, knit one, purl two together, knit one, purl one, knit one, repeat from end to end. I'm Jesse Loesberg. I'm uh, the president of the knitting club at the Rhoda Goldman Plaza. When I first started knitting, I imagined that uh, the stereotypical knitter was an old blue-haired lady who you know, sat at home in her chair and you know, listened to the news and knit. I'm sort of describing my grandmother right now with the exception of the blue hair. I'm Lisa Miller, and I own a shop called Slightly Go Lightly which is a yarn shop in the lower mission district of San Francisco. There is something about two sticks in yarn that is ancient and simple and very pleasing, very satisfying. One of my customers, she's an artist, and she knits for pleasure, but she also knits for her art. And uh, the most recent project that she's been working on and she's been coming here and working on is this electric blue Angora bunny suit. Uh, when I was at Slightly Go Lightly, uh, there was a woman there knitting a blue bunny suit. I've been knitting an invisible bunny suit. I'm Anna Maltz. I'm a graduate student in the fine arts department at CCAC. I haven't actually knitted too many, like, normal things. Like, I will not knit dog sweaters and cat sweaters. That's out. She knitted little, little jackets for dead sparrows. If you go, you know, shopping for knitting books and knitting things like that, they're filled with cute. They're filled with cute, and I can't take cute. My grandmother, in my family, she'd knit sweaters for my mum on a regular basis that would have super long arms. Now, was that because my grandmother had this concept of my mother being a gorilla? Gorilla. 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 Previous to that, she had knit pink mohair naked human suits. Yeah, there are moods when you want to go into explaining that oh, I'm knitting an invisible rabbit suit or oh, I'm knitting, a, you know, a naked person. You know, there are times when you kind of have this incredibly long pink tube and people are like, 
you know, they see you on the bus or something, they're like, oh, that's interesting. And then they say, oh, what are you making? And then there's the decision to go, well, I'm knitting a leg for a naked suit. Or you say, it's a sleeve. Click, you know, you get this little click. Wooden needles don't click at all. They they kind of they tap a little bit. Wooden needles don't click at all. They they kind of tap a little bit. I'm not trying to pick up anybody right now, but if I were trying to pick up someone, I would go sit in a cafe and knit. You would not believe the way people will strike up a conversation with you if you are knitting. And I, and I understand it. Like when I saw this young woman like knitting in, in the park, I, you know, I wasn't interested in her. I wasn't wanting to go and pick her up or anything, but I wanted to go strike up a conversation. I wanted to like run home, which is only two blocks, you know, and grab my knitting and come back and sit down right next to her and say, so what are you knitting? Which is how these kinds of conversations get started. It's great. I mean, it's it's a babe magnet. It works, you know, because again, it's that inroad into conversations. It, you know, it shows that you're sensitive. You know, it shows that you're good with your hands, which is always a nice thing. And you know, it, it is hot. And my grandma knitting was hot. I mean, she knitted her whole twelve months of naked knitting calendar, where all these like granny-ish type ladies sit there and and knit in their nakedness and they usually just sort of have like a little jaunty scarf around them or, or holding the sheep or something with guys you know obviously I, i'm trying to get people to wear these suits so you have to flatter them a bit you know you have to make him well hung I've had a couple of people say, can you make my underwear? I'm like, yeah, bitch, I'll make your underwear, sure. My name is Melanie. I go by uh, Knitting Mistress Melanie, and uh, I founded the Crafty Bitches. The story I always tell people was that my girlfriend broke up with me. First month, I stayed home and I drank. <laughs> then when I got tired of that, I said, well, I have to do something with my time. And I've always wanted to knit. So I started this group. Most of us are newly single, and that's what's so funny. It's like we have all this free time on our hands, and we're all cruising for the same chicks. And so we sit in the bar and drink and talk trash and knit. <laughs> of us out there that would not traditionally be looked at in the same way that straight women are, but yet, you know, this is as much a part of our history and our past, and it's considered so feminine that, you know, dykes can't do it, and it's totally untrue. We have butch women knitting, we've got trannies knitting. We're trying to break down the stereotypes of who would be doing something so outrageous as knitting. We're gonna shut it down, because San Francisco is
I got an email today inviting me to go to a knit in downtown to oppose the war in Iraq. I will be uh, knitting a pair of socks. I am Ajna, and I am knitting for peace. My name's Alex, and I'm here knitting today. I guess this is part of a knit-in. I think what's special about knitting is you can't knit without creating. That action is the exact opposite of firing a gun or dropping a bomb. And it's really, it's that fundamental basic act of creating something that runs contrary to our foreign policy right now. Well, I think it's very important to be seen. And we're obviously here to demonstrate against the war and to promote peace and um, diplomacy around the world. I think it's, it's cute and it's fun, but I don't think it's super effective. I, I, I think breaking specific corporations' windows is the way to go. Um, I'm not sure what the logical connection between uh, being against the war and smashing a window is. I mean, you can say I'm opposed to American corporate culture, um, and it's true that corporate culture has a lot to do with why we're fighting this war. Smashing a storefront window doesn't stop the problem. Does knitting stop the problem? Well, not right away. You know, if I go and knit in front of the San Francisco Federal Building, no single stitch that I knit is going to stop the war. But if you have 20 or 30 people sitting in front of the Federal Building knitting, engaging in this uh, act of creation and creating warm, fuzzy things and generating this um, sentiment that knitting seem, seems to create, I mean, that's the beginning of, of a process. Changing minds doesn't happen overnight. Thursday, we were at the um, civil disobedience downtown. You know, there's a lot of confrontations with the police, and there's a lot of people yelling. We were walking down Market Street, coming from another one of those police confrontations, and we stumbled almost literally right over the knitters for peace in front of the gap. And we all just, it was like a, you know, like a thunderclap, but the opposite, you know, <laughs> kind of like a, a zone of peace and focus. And we all just kind of stopped and sat there for a while and watched them. Things are going to change. I think that people are going to wake up from this really destructive capitalist idea of consumption. Creation is not violent. It's, it's a very strong, powerful, revolutionary act that can be done incredibly peacefully. Knitting is really prayerful for me. I am the Reverend Trismegista Taylor. I'm minister of the San Francisco Church of Craft and co-creator of the Church of Craft. Knitting is a very soothing thing for me. I do it a lot when I'm really stressed. I used to be a smoker and knitting has really helped me stop smoking. I'm generally relatively calm anyway. I don't know to what extent knitting helps me stay calm. It's not calm. We're throwing back beers, we're being raunchy, we're being loud, we're being obnoxious. Actually, I think it's uh, the knitting community in San Francisco is, is pretty fractious. There's a lot of arguments around uh, should knitting, should you be drinking when you knit, and knitting in bars, is it appropriate? Do you drink? How can you drink and knit? Like, bitch, I have a knit sober once. 
I would say I'm a relatively frenetic knitter, and I get caught up in this thing that I want to get done, and I want to make it happen. And it's not because I want to finish it for a deadline. It's just I get really into it, and I get crazy about it. I hate this. I hate this thing I'm making, you know. And sometimes I unravel it. I slipped a stitch, and it ended up like making a. You know, when you get a run in your hose. That's exactly what it did. It went like it just slipped right out. I just threw it across the room, and I was like, "If this is knitting, I'm never doing this again." My hands were cramped, and I was angry, and I threw it across the room. It was the only thing I have thrown across the room. You know, bunny suit, naked people. You know, knitting protest. What what the hell does that do? I might conclude that. Boy, you know, I thought knitting was just old grannies and stuff, but now I think it's old grannies and kooks. But that's really hard to say, given that I'm in it and, and don't necessarily feel that way, and am apparently one of the kooks. When things unravel in life, it just feels so hopeless. You know, you're just like, in my personal life, it's just like, oh my god, I'm never gonna get this back together again. This is so messed up. It's like when, you know, when your ball of yarn rolls across the bar, you know, and it's just like covered in beer and it's all screwed up and like tangled and people are stepping on it and it's like, how am I ever gonna do anything with this? But you pick it back up and you roll it up and you start knitting again and pretty soon it's like you forget it ever unraveled, you know? And then that which unraveled has become an entirely new thing that can still unravel. Beyond Scarves, produced by Matt Simon and Ken Reisman. This piece was originally posted on soundvile.org in 2003, and it also aired on Invisible Ink on KALW in San Francisco in June of 2004. In the whole wide world, what is it that you want? If you could have anything, what would you want? Right now I want an Alexandrite ring. <laughs> I want to finish my basement for my kids. I mean, you know, if I'm being honest. Less tax. How about that? Less tax, therefore more money for me. I would, my favorite clothing store just went out of business, so I would love to know where I, I could find my favorite pairs of jeans. Probably a healthy baby because I'm pregnant. I would want my friends to be happy and healthy. Anything. It doesn't have to come from a mall, just anything. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted rocket boots. Um, I think one of the, the recent movies that I've seen, The Incredibles, well, Jason Lee, his character with the, the rocket boots, has really re-inspired my love for those. So that would be it. Peace. Happiness. Just a little happily. That's all. Just a little happily. 
a better paying job. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's the exact question again? If you could have anything, what would you want? Ah, more time for vacation. That's what I really want. I want the ability to go places and be able to do nothing while I'm there. Oh, if I can have anything, I want a, I want a house with large, lots of space. I want a house with lots of space and the top floor is just a large empty room. <laughs> what would you do with the empty room? It's uh, for playing soccer. Or it's for having a large theater, for having people come over and watch movies. Or having bands to play in it. That's what I would do in the large empty room. Dog and a baby and to be married. <laughs> I really would like a goat. Um, and a yard for a goat and a little barn for a goat. I don't have to explain why, do I? No. Okay. I want a goat. You know, I think the biggest problem is, is that I already have too much... I mean, you know, I have the iPod. I have, you know, I have four computers, and I need only one. I have the nice, I have whatever. I have two stereos that I don't need. I, I have too many. I have, I have three couches. I know this is the whole let's be part of the ownership society, but why do I have to own everything all of a sudden? I don't know. I've already bought enough things. Oh, just to be happy. A unicorn. Pet unicorn. <laughs> realized about unicorns is that they're filled with candy. <laughs> it's like getting free candy. I want not to want anything. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. One of the fascinating things about the free market is that if you're clever enough to create a market for a product where there previously was none, you can make a fortune, regardless of what the product is and whether anyone really needs it. In our last segment, producer Kimberly Carroll explores an entirely new concept from an industry that created the old concept it's trying to revamp. Women of the world, raise your right hand. With this I Am Woman Hear Me Roar style anthem, the diamond industry has declared it is liberating the female species from the shackles of dependence. And the liberator? The right hand diamond ring. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yes, now sisters are buying it for themselves. That is, if the diamond industry has anything to do with it. Your left hand says we. Your right hand says me. Your left hand feeds your family. Your right hand takes the cake. In the last few months, a $4 million ad campaign featuring these taglines has been splashed across glossy U.S. fashion mags like Vogue, Us, and In Style. According to the campaign, which is spearheaded by the diamond industry godfather De Beers, Wearing a diamond ring on your right-hand finger is the ultimate badge of freedom, independence, and rebellion. Whoa, to me, cutting off your right-hand ring finger, now that qualifies as an act of rebellion and independence. But buying an overpriced bauble for your right hand? Tiffany! Who's falling for this? Well, according to Kim Such of De Beers Diamond Information Center in Canada, everybody... The reaction has been incredible um, from retailers um, wanting to stock the rings. 
to uh, to consumers calling us to ask where they can find the rings. We're seeing women um, say that it's a gift of love to themselves, and in some cases, women are getting promoted and they feel like they've they've finally made it. Some people are buying them to signify getting out of a relationship. And you know the right-hand diamond ring is a certified trend as soon as they start popping up on celebrity paws everywhere. Britney Spears, Katie Couric, Halle Berry, Cameron Diaz, Beyonce even sings about buying her own power stones. Now the root sentiment, don't wait for a man to bring you flowers, grow your own garden, is a powerful one. But come on! Using feminism to sell diamonds? Dr. Andrea Austin of the University of Winnipeg's Women's Studies program has been talking about this very subject in her media studies class. Is it a co-optation of the gains that women have made? Yes. Is it sexist? Yes. Is it selling the image instead of the product? Yes. But that's what advertising does now. And it's certainly not the first time feminism has been used to sell decadent products to women. Then in 1920, women won their rights. You come Virginia Slims tried to convince a whole generation of women that smoking was synonymous with independence and being a woman of today. With their You've Come a Long Way Baby campaign, women took up the habit in masses. Introducing new Virginia Slims, the Slim cigarette for women only. At least the diamond campaign just hits women in the checkbook and not a vital organ. And Kim Such says De Beers is just uncovering a demand that's time has come, as single women are getting richer and marrying later. The average marrying age uh, in Canada is the oldest it's ever been. And a first-time bride now is 31.7 years of age. Part of what's driving this trend is that women um, don't want to wait until they get married to enjoy a beautiful diamond ring. But women needed permission, I think, to, to buy diamonds um, for themselves. Permission? Shouldn't we be allowed to buy any jewelry we want, wear it wherever we want, anytime we want? We don't need permission, do we? Tammy Matkaluk is the campaign's perfect target. A single urban professional between 25 and 45, disposable income, enjoys fashion, and wants her diamond. I just like diamonds. <laughs> so, I mean, I have diamond earrings. Those are real. I want another pair of real diamond earrings, and I want a nice diamond ring. But I was just thinking that by the time I got to be the stage, that maybe I'd have one given to me by somebody else. Forget that ice or else no dice. However, like many women, buying that diamond ring for herself was still taboo. Your left finger is reserved for your engagement hand, so I'm not going to put a ring on my left finger unless it's meant to be there. I just think that if you're wearing a ring on your, on your left hand, on your ring finger, that means you're engaged or you're married. Okay. And that, who is that according to? Isn't that the rule? Well, I guess so, but... Who exactly established that rule? The diamond solitaire. A diamond is forever. De Beers. Dum, dum, dum. That's right. De Beers. Dr. Andrea Austin explains. In 1938, the De Beers diamond cartel um, needed some help with flagging diamond sales. And the advertising campaign um, is what first took that association of the diamond from pri primarily a financial investment to a symbol of true love and romance. And in, in 1947, 
the slogan, A Diamond is Forever, came out and the association was cemented and is still with us. Fast forward to the year 2003. Women are responsible for an 85% growth in new luxury spending. They're buying their own cars, houses, holidays, but not diamonds because De Beers' bridal campaign was so successful. So what do they do to get some of that luxury spending action? <laughs> Voila! The ultimate symbol of romantic love and dependence suddenly becomes the ultimate symbol of self-love and independence. Crafty. Like a diamond they originally um, had crafted that association of dependence upon the man. He goes out and gets the diamond. Now they're cutting out the middleman. She doesn't need to go and get a man to go and get her that diamond. So it's a really interesting twist in the whole history of the marketing campaign for diamonds. But will it pay off? So far, yes. Consumer recognition of the right-hand ring has recently jumped from 25 to 59 percent. And over the holiday season, they were flying off jeweler shelves. And gals like Tammy have gotten the permission they need. I've been thinking about buying myself a nicer ring that I was planning on wearing in my right hand for the last couple of years. And then just in my Us Weekly magazine over the last little while, they've been talking about it more and more, and then I saw the ad in the free press, and I've decided that it's okay to go ahead and do it because everybody else is. There may come a time when a lad needs a lawyer, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. However, is the diamond industry biting the hand that feeds it? The bridal market is still a majority of their business. And right now, they're making left-hand ring wearers feel a little like yesterday's news with ad copy like, your left hand is the sensible one, your right hand is the crazy one. And your left hand does what it should, your right hand does what it pleases. So now we know what the left hand really means. Boring. This diamond ring doesn't shine for me anymore. Well, one of the diamond industry strategies for not cannibalizing themselves is keeping the right-hand ring and the engagement ring two very different entities. We had a lot of consumers say to us, you know, we, we go into jewelry stores and we feel like there's nothing there for us. Um, we want to wear a diamond on our right hand, but we don't want it to look like a typical engagement ring. If you're single, you don't want to send out a vibe that you're married, obviously, because most singles are, are looking and interested in meeting somebody new. What? I thought this whole thing was about celebrating independence, not about having a cylindrical finger warmer until Mr. Wright comes along. <laughs> I've got it wrong, according to Tammy. I am the furthest from feminist that there possibly is. So if that was the kind of message that it was sending, then I wouldn't be buying one. I just sort of ignore those ads because I'm a traditional girl and I would not be buying one if that was supposed to be a sign of being independent and feministy. No, we wouldn't want to be all feministy now. So, instead of the traditional race solitaires, the right-hand rings boast multiple bands, lots of small stones, Art Deco styles with names like L'Enchantress, Contemporary Princess, Bubbly, Spiritual, Princess Sasha, ranging in price from thousands of dollars at Tiffany's to Walmart, who has a $389 ring called, get this, Independent. So men can no longer tell women what to do. But the diamond industry sure as heck can. But I have to remember that the essence of feminism is women being free to make the choices they want, no matter what they are. So, women of the world, raise your right hands. Or your middle fingers. Your choice. Diamonds are a girl's best friend.
Raise Your Right Hand, produced by Kimberly Carroll for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's program, Definitely Not the Opera. It first aired in March of 2003. Resound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Roman Mars and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program through thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from around the world. Generous support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Illinois Humanities Council. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else, unless you live everywhere else. Do you? Do you?